Up next at 6, it's JR Morning with Guy Gordon, Jamie Edmonds, and Lloyd Jackson. This is First Thing with Mike Parsons and Renee Vitale. Well, good morning to everyone except for the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> yeah. And I know as a uh, Cowboys fan, Jason has been saying this for at least uh, since the early 90s, but I'm feeling it today. And I know, Renee, a lot of people are looking at the silver lining saying, oh, we're still in play for the second seed. But I, I think in our heart of hearts, we would have liked to have seen this thing clinched and wrapped up yesterday. But Well, it just uh, would have made things easier. Yeah, it would have. And, and, and here's the thing. It might end up working out in our benefit because the Lions might end up, um, you know, getting that second seed. And, and to be honest, if they can't win two of their next three, they don't, uh, I'm sorry, one of their next three they don't deserve to be in the playoffs. But I think I, I think Lions fans in their heart of hearts would have liked to have just been able to kind of coast uh, this week, knowing that that their team was in the playoffs. We could have but, breathed uh, a little easier. And, of course, Matt Patricia rears his ugly bearded head again and screws <laughs> us. He was calling the plays yesterday for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles defense, which was not good enough to – stop the Seattle Seahawks and their backup quarterback. He's like a stain. He just won't go away. I know. He's like a cockroach, man. How does this guy keep getting gigs? <laughs> and, and he was the offensive coordinator in New England the last few right. years after he left here, and now he's a defensive coordinator. All the time. Right. Uh, like Bill Belichick one day is like, oh, Tom Brady's gone. I don't really know what I'm doing. So, uh, you know, Matt, you, I, I know I know you bombed out in Detroit and you're a defense guy, but you want to be the offensive coordinator. And He's... we all saw what happened. Spot on impression, by the way. Thank you. I just, I, I just, uh, I've been perfecting it since just now. I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> impressed with myself. So, all right. Well, like I said, Santa, Santa Dan Campbell can uh, deliver us. Right, and, and we That's got right. more to go. Let's go. I am keeping that cut on this page for motivation. I, it, yes. I'm ready to go. Let's go for whatever we got to do today. I think every morning after my morning prayer and I stand up to say the Pledge of Allegiance, I'm going to recite that to myself as well to get Perfect. myself going. So. Let's go. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, Santa Dan Campbell can deliver us a division win with the uh, uh, against the Minnesota Vikings this Sunday, Christmas Eve, and this will be a moot point. So, uh, I guess... The Lions, as they say, control their own destiny. But it would have been nice to get some help. Um, so, Renee, I think they just reopened maybe two hours ago. Um, Telegraph Road, that huge accident that happened yesterday. Yeah, a 20 to 30 car crash shut down southbound Telegraph between Schoolcraft and Plymouth Roads in Redford Township Monday night. The road reopened just after 3 a.m. this morning. Officials say that the multi-car crash was due to the icy roads. Police say 10 to 12 people were taken to different hospitals to be treated for minor injuries. But man, what a mess. If you saw the footage on TV, it looked literally like a crazy dis disfigured parking lot is the best way to to explain it yeah it, it's one of those things that would have probably been on the national news if it wasn't for all the crazy weather that's happening out east yeah and um i, I mean that that's kind of what happens around here not to that magnitude when it you know the first few times we have to drive in icy wintry conditions and then we kind of sort of figure it out mostly mm -hmm. but but i guess uh 
it looks dry out there, but but I've been hearing reports of some dry ice. So as Black the billboard ice. says, what I say, dry ice. Oh, dry, dry ice. That'd be cool. You just be driving around. It's and all smoky. That, like, <laughs> right. It's like you're at a rave. Right. Yeah, my mistake. Black a Michael ice. Jackson video. <laughs> The, paramed- the paramedics uh, come up to your uh, car and they say, and are you okay? Yeah, just take me to the <laughs> doom, hospital. Doom, 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 doom. Yes, the black ice out there. So as the billboard says, ice and slow, uh, ice and snow, take it slow. Oh, my right. God, Renee, you're going to have to take over from no. me this morning. No, I don't want to do that. Thank God it's Thursday, huh? Stop it. <laughs> It feels like it's where we at, man. Right. And we got more to go. There's your Thanks, reset. Coach. Thanks, Coach. Get me going. All right. The Macomb County Sheriff's Department announced charges against three women from China. An alleged massive prostitution and human trafficking ring being run out of massage parlors in Mount Clemens, Shelby Township, Utica, uh, two in Livonia. According to Macomb County Sheriff's Department, the women being trafficked did not have transportation. They lived in the spas and they did not get paid. They actually only uh, were able to keep their tips and they were encouraged to uh, get those tips by soliciting sex acts from the customers. And uh, they were uh, the women were described as being prisoners by Macomb County Sheriff Anthony Wickersham. Police from multiple agencies across Macomb, Oakland and Wade counties, they conducted raids on homes in Troy, Livonia, as well as two hotel rooms at MGM Casino. Uh, where they arrested uh, one of the women and then the other three women were, uh, I'm sorry, the other two women were arrested later along with a number of other people. I don't know if those other people were employees, if they were customers, um, but uh, they brought more people into custody. And this thing was huge. I mean, this probe took a year. There were over 40 arrest warrants. And and it really goes to say, I mean, Renee, Shelby Township, Utica, Livonia, these are nice places. Yeah. You, you, ne- you never really know what's going on and, and where the scourge of human trafficking is hiding. I mean, you think of seedy back alleys in Detroit or rough areas, but uh, this case, uh, it, it was in the heart of suburbia. And yeah. unfortunately, now this casts doubt on legit massage therapy businesses. And, and it shows, you know, they were under a gun where they had to produce. And if they weren't, they were moved around. So right. these, you know, these women, they had to, they, they had a lot of pressure on them, for lack of a better term, where if they weren't producing so much money, then they were moved about. So, uh, you know, they had, it sounds like they probably had a madame. Uh, it was this whole thing. Yeah, and, and Sheriff Wickersham's going to be on with uh, J.R. Morning at 6.15, I believe. Uh, he's going to be on with Kevin and Tom at 11.35. So I'm going to be interested to hear these details as they unfold. Yeah. Um you know, were, were these women kidnapped? Um, were they promised a, a better life here in America and lured over here and, and then sold in human trafficking? But, uh, you know, at, at least these young women are now freed from this and hopefully yeah. they can, um, uh, you know, uh, recover from this and, and, and continue on with their lives. Uh, Pope Francis, he made a Pretty controversial uh, announcement yesterday. Yeah, he has formally approved allowing priests to bless same-sex couples with a new document explaining a radical change in Vatican policy by insisting that people seeking God's love and mercy shouldn't be subject to an exhaustive moral analysis to receive it. The document from the Vatican's Doctrine Office released Monday elaborates on a letter that Francis sent to two conservative cardinals that was published in October. In that, sent to 
to a uh, preliminary response, Francis suggested such blessings could be offered under some circumstances if they didn't confuse the ritual with the sacrament of marriage. The new document repeats that rationale and elaborates on it, reaffirming that marriage is a lifelong sacrament between a man and a woman. And it stresses that blessings should not be conferred at the same time as a civil union or even with the clothing and gestures that belongs in a wedding. But it says requests for such blessings should not be denied full stop. It offers an extensive definition of the term blessing in scripture to insist that people seeking a transcendent relationship with God and looking for his love and mercy should not be subject to an exhaustive moral analysis as a preconditioning for receiving it. Ultimately, a blessing offers people, uh, excuse me, and ultimately a blessing offers people a means to increase their trust in God, the document said. The request for a blessing thus expresses and nurtures openness to the transcendence, mercy, and closeness to God in a thousand concrete circumstances of life, which is no small thing in the world of which we we live. He added, it is the seed of the Holy Spirit that must be nurtured, not hindered. Yeah, and I, I mean, obviously, Pope Francis is one of the more progressive popes that uh, that the Catholic Church has had at the helm. But, you know, my question with this, I mean, is this progress or is it just a very small compromise that gives the appearance of progress to block actual progress? And, and I don't want to disrespect anyone's religion. I mean, I grew up in the Catholic Church. As did I. Uh, but I don't know that this, this this seems like, OK, we're going to give you like a very little crumb. You can be blessed, but it can't you know, it, it can't look like it's a mass. It can't look it resemble anything. That's that's marriage. Well, and that's it, the thing. It, it, he's not he's not giving his blessing on gay marriage before everybody right. gets in. Not everybody, but many get into an uproar. He's not blessing gay marriage, first and foremost. Right. So I don't know. I mean, this 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 seems to have a, a lot of conditions. Um, it, it seems like I said, it almost seems like a stiff arm of sorts saying, hey, look, OK, we're making a little bit of progress. Now leave us alone about making more progress. Right. At least that that's my interpretation. Of yeah. It. Um. You know, I will say in the Catholic Church, this is quite a bit of progress. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, you right. and I having both been raised in a Catholic Church, I would say this is. A huge stepping stone, not as much progress as personally I would like to have seen. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, for them to even acknowledge uh, any kind of gay couples is yeah. is pretty big, in my and, opinion. And I, yeah, I guess it's baby steps. But again, I feel like it's just kind of trying to throw people a bone so that they they you know, they, they stop pushing for progress for a little bit. I think that uh, they need it, to do something. Uh, because, you know, it's not the, the Catholic Church is losing parishioners left and right. Right. And and that's the thing. I, I mean, it, uh, and I didn't want to get into this discussion this early in the morning, especially with uh, with us having to break. But I just don't I, I, I just I just don't see the sin in it. It's I don't not either. Harming any, as as long as everybody is consenting adults, I don't see the sin in it. I think I, I feel like actually. Um, denying them rights that other protected groups get. I feel like that's more harmful. Well, as God than, says, we're all God's children and love is love. So it kind of, you know. I'm going to leave it there. First thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale. Well said. So we are learning more 
details about the car accident where that vehicle crashed in one of the Secret Service's SUVs outside of President Biden's campaign headquarters in Wilmington, Delaware, turned out, um, as preliminary reports said, that it wasn't specifically targeting the president. It was just a drunk driver. A 46-year-old Wilmington man was arrested for driving under the influence um, I'm sure being surrounded by Secret Service agents with their guns pulled sobered him up pretty quick. But uh, yeah. Renee, <laughs> my question here, Renee, you have to be pretty drunk to to drive into a freaking presidential motorcade. It's not like it's not like it came up out of nowhere. And how bad is your luck? I mean, not that you have good luck if you're a drunk driver, period. Right. But like how bad of all the drunk driving scenarios you drove into the freaking president's motorcade? Uh, Could you imagine that one phone call from prison? Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, 855 car hit you. Yeah. Um, I am in prison. Yeah. I need you. I, I need you to post bail. Uh, I, I kind of uh, accidentally hit the president's motorcade. You're never going to believe this one. <laughs> yeah. You know what? If I if I received that phone call, I would hang up thinking somebody was trolling me. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, we're also learning more details about. Uh, Jason Thompson, that 36-year-old Macomb County man who was found dead in the ductwork at Macomb Community College in their Performing Arts Center. Uh, he Thompson, he had a lengthy rap sheet, and he spent a number of years in and out of jail dating back to the early 2000s. Uh, he was communicating with loved ones back on the night of October 25th, saying that he thought he was being chased by police. Now, Sterling Heights Public Information Officer Mario Bastinelli, he claimed that his department was not pursuing Thompson on foot that night. And he checked with other departments just to do uh, his due diligence, all the other departments in the area. And they said they didn't have any officers pursuing him on foot that night. Uh, now, Thompson did have a warrant out for his arrest, and his family said that he had recently been hallucinating. And, of course, we know that when he disappeared, he ended up crawling deeper and deeper into the ductwork. He came across a narrow duct that pointed downward, and that's where he got stuck and died and he was discovered almost a month later when a volunteer at a performing arts center um, reported the smell. So very, uh, very tragic uh, explanation. But yeah. at, at least now we know what happened. Right. Uh, so. it, it, it sounds like he was a very troubled individual. Yeah. And, um, you know, um, he he was I think the last time someone saw him was October 25th. And I think he was reported missing in early November. And and that seems kind of suspicious, but you know, if he had the struggles that he had with with drugs or or being in and out of jail, it probably wasn't uncommon for him to disappear for days at a time and then mm -hmm. then reappear. And then I would imagine anyone who's got a, a, a an addict in their life, a loved one, that um, you know, after a couple days go by, you don't hear from them. A couple weeks go by, you don't hear from them. Then you start wondering, okay, uh oh. You know, what, what, what was was that the final whatever? You know, was that the final run in with the law? Was right. that the final time they used drugs? So right. just a uh, very painful and public story for that family to have to deal with. Um, so there's uh, Southwest Airlines, just a complete 
utter hot mess last Christmas, and I guess they are uh, paying the piper in more ways than one right now. Oh, big time. The Department of Transportation issued a record $140 million civil penalty against Southwest Airlines over its 2022 holiday meltdown. The penalty is 30 times larger than any in DOT history. The action comes in response to numerous consumer protection law violations and operational disruptions that left 16,900 flights canceled and over 2 million passengers stranded between Christmas and New Year's last year. What a mess that was. The DOT says that it hopes the penalty will deter other airlines from similar mishaps. U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg in a press release today's, said today's action sets a new precedent and sends a clear message. If airlines fail their passengers, we will use the full extent of our authority to hold them accountable. The penalty comes in addition to over 600 million Southwest that has already ordered to pay in refunds and reimbursements to customers. The majority of the money from the $140 million penalty will go towards compensating future Southwest par- passengers affected by cancellations or significant delays caused by the airline. Through the penalty, Southwest is required to establish a $90 million compensation system for future passengers affected by delays or cancellations. Last year, Buttigieg pressured airline CEOs to make customer service improvements. In response, the 10 largest U.S. airlines now guarantee free rebooking and meals when the airline is to blame for a delay or a cancellation. And nine of those also guarantee hotel accommodations. Well, and outside of the fines, I mean, that whole fiasco, it had to have been very damaging for the the airline industry. Because I remember watching this uh, aghast from my home. I wasn't traveling last year, but just watching the news reports of this and saying to myself, at this point, uh, if I don't have to take an airplane anywhere, I'm not going to. I, <laughs> I will take my chances with a uh, 12-hour car ride if it would uh, mitigate the chances of a 20 hour delay or whatever these, these people were dealing with over. You're at uh, their mercy. I mean, you're so stranded when you're in a completely different state, you know, on the other side of the country, you are literally at the airline's mercy and they know that. And, you know, and at some point they take advantage of that. Well, there's nothing we can do. Sorry. Um, So, you know, this uh, hopefully lesson learned for, and, you know, like he said, we're, we're taking a stance. You can't do that to these people and you pay a pretty penny to fly. So, you know, hopefully this is a lesson learned. And it's gotta be such a hopeless feeling. Uh, I haven't haven't flown much in my life. It sounds like you've been in this situation before. Don't get me started. (laughs) Spirit Airlines. uh, Yeah. Well. That's you know what? I, I, I fly spirit most of the time uh, because that's what I can afford. But yes, uh, say no more. I, I That's all you need to say. Right. Uh, but I mean, here's the thing, too. I mean, people plan their trips with with such precision and they try to maximize their time. So whether you're being delayed, delayed on your way out of time, town, now that's cutting into your vacation time or it's cutting into your business trip. Um and then being delayed coming back home, you got a life to get back to. You probably have to go back to work the next day because right. you're trying to maximize your time. And uh, I would think by the time 6, 10, 15 hours have passed and and, and you decide to make a decision, uh, your, your entire vacation or your entire week back at work is completely screwed up. Right.
Right. Uh, the oh, wrong story here. Ah, state data shows that educators, they've used seclusion and restraint techniques on students with disabilities at a record pace. Now, in the most recent school year, educators secluded students with disabilities here in the state of Michigan uh, 11,910 times. That's up 30% from wow. the previous years. And they used restraints 9,076 times. That's up 20%. That's an all-time high since Michigan first started collecting data on this back in the 2017-2018 school year. Lawmakers, they're alarmed. They're looking into it, but they're not ready to make any changes yet, saying they need to look into it more, which I think is fair. And I also hope they consult with professionals who actually work in education and work with disabled students before they make any rule changes. Because I would imagine that uh, teachers being understaffed and under-resourced is a huge factor in this. Um, if there's a student with a mental or physical disability and you can't get through to them with traditional methods, you may have to employ these tactics to keep order in the classroom or keep other students safe. Um, you know, these, these tactics in and of themselves aren't inherently wrong. Um, but I, I, I can see there being some current concern about abuse um, when, yeah. because they are heavy handed tactics. It does. Even if. Go on. No, I was going to say they are heavy handed tactics, even if they are necessary at times. It seems like that in itself requires its own special training. And you just want to make sure that that proper training is being administered to these people. Yeah. And I would imagine and it says students with disabilities that suggest special ed. Uh, I, I would imagine that special ed teachers have training in this. I honestly think that, uh, you know, one of during one of these in-service days where you get a half day and all the kids go to the Pizza Hut buffet, I think maybe you take <laughs> one of these in-service days to maybe train other uh, teachers in this. Uh, I don't assume case... anything anymore, Mike. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, um, yeah, I, I, I would think that maybe it might be worthwhile to train other teachers in this as well. So if, you know, the, the highly trained, outnumbered special ed teachers uh, need assistance, then you have other trained personnel in the building that can help out. But I definitely think it's worth an investigation because sure. that's a very high number. I don't know what the threshold is. I don't know if seclusion is just, um, you know, having a kid uh, sit out in the hallway for 10 minutes or if it's locking them in a room by themselves. Well, for the uh, safety on both sides of this, I think it's worth a, a deep investigation. Yeah, because like I said, some sometimes these tactics are necessary, but they I think they also could lend themselves to, to abuse as right. well. Uh, are you uh, all finished with your Christmas shopping, Renee? Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> I, I finished my Christmas shopping up on Saturday. Look at you. Look at yes. you. I'm well, so proud of you. Well, here's the thing. My wife does most of my Christmas, most of the Christmas shopping. So your wife finished the Christmas shopping. <laughs> and I finished the shopping for my wife. Yes. Huh. Um, one of my favorite things about Christmas, Renee, is is seeing what we got other people, because I'm just as surprised as they are when they <laughs> open their presents. Uh-huh. But these holiday deadlines are, are coming up quick. So um, number one, for the post office priority mail, you missed it. The deadline was yesterday. Uh, but if you want to get whatever you're ordering delivered priority mail express, it's going to cost you a little bit more, but, uh, the deadline is tomorrow. I don't Wednesday understand the... this anymore. What do you mean? In a world where you can order something on Amazon and just change the, the shipping address. 
to where you well, want it delivered? Why why are we like the, why order something and have it shipped to you to ship it to that person? I would just order on Amazon and change the shipping address. That's true. I don't know. I if if you're taking it to family who's local, I guess it's worthwhile to ship it to you so you can wrap it and give it to them, but Man. yeah, that that's a good idea if you're there you go. Knock yourself out. Pretend I wrapped it for you. Yeah, you know. It's, well, it's interesting. They're going to unwrap Amazon... the Amazon package. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, uh, FedEx, three-day is today. Same-day shipping deadline is Friday. UPS, three-day deadline is today. Next day is Friday. First thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitelli, WJR. And we're heading into JR Morning with Guy Gordon. Lloyd Jackson and Jamie Edmonds. And uh, has anybody in this room ever skipped a holiday or family gathering to avoid a political argument? Anybody? No. 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 Well, that would try. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Renee. um, I have I have not gone to friend functions knowing someone would be there that I didn't want to deal with because of their political views. Wow. Well, you're not alone, Renee, and actually you're uh, – I guess this makes you young and hip because a Harris poll <laughs> Thank God. that was actually released around Thanksgiving and it's now resurfacing going into Christmas says that out of 2,000 people surveyed, 51% of Gen Zers ages 18 to 25, they've actually opted out of family gatherings to avoid political arguments while only 20% of Gen Xers and baby boomers ages 42 and up have done the same. And – I don't know. I, I got to say, at my family gatherings, not only do we not talk politics, I feel like it's such an easy thing to avoid. Yeah. By the way, yeah. that's not all Gen Z. When you're talking 18 to 25, that's just a, a narrow slice of, of what's considered Gen Gen Z. I don't want to keep scoring uh, on the whole Gen. Well, <laughs> it's well, the I college after- kids coming home saying, you know, I want my safe spaces. Well, Okay, I mean, is this an indicative, uh, an indicator of kids being soft, or is it an indicator of their older relatives being a little ornery and annoying? Hmm. Well, you know, it is your rebellious phase, right? That's true. I just and think during the pl- playoffs, during the holidays, <laughs> you we don't... know what's on your mind. <laughs> <laughs> during the holidays, you just don't want to get into it. Yeah, it's too deep. You just don't want to go all in the weeds and that. You want to have a good time. You want to be festive and stuff. And you, when you Agreed. get into that, it goes into the weeds and people start, you know, tripping. Right. And, you know, it's don't want to. If you that. get all the way to the point where you don't go, then it must be the other person who just can't not talk about it. Yeah. Right. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, I know the politics of of a lot of people in my family. I mean, we're all on Facebook together. And (laughs) I know there are some who I align with and others that I'm at odds with. And so, you know, it's just just such an easy thing to avoid. And when I'm at family gatherings, I might talk politics, but I usually only do it with family members um, that I agree with and out of earshot of of, of the ones that I don't. Um, Because here's the thing. I mean... We see each other a few times a year. We're all getting older. Just just have a piece of ham or something. I ah, know like that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's unfortunate about that, though? I mean, I have great me- memories of my uncle. And I, I would lock horns with my dad on stuff. But my uncle could get through to me. And in terms of kind of resetting your perspective of your view, when older folks who have more seasoned, broader perspectives, more certainly understanding of history – share that with you, yeah, yeah, that can solve a lot of problems. So avoiding those discussions 
you're kind of avoiding a chance to, to, to broaden your horizons a little. It's, it's unfortunate. Yeah, that's true. And and I think, you know, there are those special mentor relationships where you can have those uncomfortable conversations. And then there's just like your annoying uncle who blows in once uh, once a year and uh, read something on Facebook and now wants to tell everyone about it. <laughs> well, I think you but, could have those nice conversations, but it doesn't have to be at Christmas. Right. Christmas yeah. Day. Let's play left, right, center and yeah. have some wine. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Just I, someone. To- Someone explain euchre to me for the 50th time. <laughs> no, I'm, Mike, sorry, that's guy, the right bower. No, I've, I've got, oh, a, yeah. I've got a, a, a poll coming up that asks the 18 to 24s about how they feel about Israel and how they feel about Hamas. And a majority think that the way you fix it is by destroying the state of Israel and giving it to Palestine. Wow. Crazy so Detroit Business Executive Editor Mickey Chikano what we the, can the, expect the when we head into the new year is, as far check. as the top More 10 things to watch for in Detroit uh, Business for 2024. Give us a heads up on JR Morning, on JR morning. Coming up next. Well, as we like to on Monday mornings, we want to touch base with our friends at Crane's Detroit Business. And this interview is brought to you by Taft Law, a modern law firm with over 800 attorneys throughout the Midwest and the District of Columbia. Learn more at taftlaw.com. You know, when you've been watching what's been happening on the markets, uh, the talk about interest rates, this is going to be a very consequential end of the year. And the beginning of the year in Detroit is going to be a lot, bring a lot of interesting things as well. Uh, we bring in Mickey Chikilo, who is executive editor of Crane's Detroit Business and Crane's Grand Rapids Business, uh, filling in for Mike Lee this morning. Mickey, good morning. Hey, good morning, Guy. How are you today? We're good. You know, it's kind of dangerous business trying to predict what's going to be happening in the new year, but you can point to some things that are very predictable, and they're exciting. Yeah, well, you know, Mike, uh, he's taking the week off, but he left us a gift, (laughs) and that was um, he put together 10 things to watch uh, in 2024. This is part of uh, a specialty publication we put out called The Book, where – got a lot of our data and so forth in it but also we've got this special feature of of 10 items to look look forward to in 2024 you're right a lot of them might be uh predictable but you know uh, we're just kind of trying to project ahead here um you know number one on the list is you know we're looking at the substantial completion of some big years-long projects Ford's michigan central station um uh, should be coming online sometime in the spring the exact date has not been uh, said yet but you know probably around may ish is what you know the word uh seems to be and then of course dan gilbert's uh tower you know at the hudson site uh, uh should be close you know we can all see it kind of coming together right now and, and that's really exciting as well so that's just one of the items on on that list um talk about the michigan state university board of trustees the documents the larry nasser documents they've released them to the ag yeah, uh, thanks, Jamie. Um, so, right. So the board finally, after months and months of, of um, pressure uh, from, from the public and others, uh, has uh, uh, voted uh, Friday morning. You know, the, the language was, quote, to release, but it's not, they're not publicly available yet. They're, they're turning over documents in the Larry Nassar sex scandal uh, to Attorney General Dana Nessel's office. Um, you know, the university uh, board had held off doing this, uh, citing attorney-client privilege. Um, there had been some litigation uh, between MSU and its insurers to help pay for the $500 million settlement between 
MSU and the victims of Larry Nassar's abuse, um, those lawsuits are, are, you know, taken care of, and, and that essentially removed the last hurdle, according to the board chair, um, to turn over some of these documents. Now, uh, you know, the university's general counsel is still going through them. Um, they could still be subject to some redactions, but but this seems to be a pretty significant step, finally. Uh, you know, the, the victims for years, you know, uh, have been calling for transparency and to, to find out exactly, you know, what MSU knew and when. And so this this is a pretty significant step along that path. Not the end of the story, I'm sure, but but a pretty significant step. Do we know what is it they hope to learn, whether there was additional culpability? And if there is, are there any liability consequences to that or has that all been settled? Well, I, yeah, I mean, that's that's the big question, I think, Guy, that we don't know because, you know, uh, we don't know what we don't know. Um, but that's, you know, the victims uh, are, are, you know, they want transparency. They want to know what Michigan State knew when they knew it. You know, uh, they employed Dr. Nasser for years and years. And so, um, you know, I guess, you know, over time, you know, we, we will find out. They will find out eventually, you know, what exactly was known by the university and uh, at what point. We got playoff football, perhaps coming back to the Motor City. We got our fingers crossed. We're cheering for the Eagles temporarily tonight. <laughs> um, but the the Q line and the People Mover could both be a part of that, and we're learning a little bit more about their fair structure and their future. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a great win Saturday night too, and hoping for another win uh, this coming weekend against Minnesota. Yeah, uh, some significant news, um, uh, seemingly uh, involving the Q line which is that the Regional Transit Authority uh, unveiled a proposal late last week uh, for the, the RTA to um, take over control of the Q-Line. Now, it's not far from a done deal, but, but they're, they're examining this, they're looking into this. And what we thought was somewhat significant was this came just a couple of weeks after Dan Gilbert in a, in a, a Detroit Free Press breakfast series where he was doing a, a one-on-one interview, talked about, kind of re-elevated, the importance of, of mass transit in the Detroit region. He talked about its importance with young people, uh, Gen Z, millennials, you know, who brag about not owning cars and they want to ride mass transit. So, and he talked about, you know, gee, just imagine if, you know, uh, you know, the Q line went uh, all the way north, you know, Woodward to Royal Oak and beyond or went out to uh, Metro Airport. And then suddenly, you know, or maybe not so suddenly, but, you know, from a public standpoint, it seems somewhat sudden, Kind of out of the blue, this this proposal comes from the RTA. That um, could be interesting to see if you know if, if the Q line could be developed further, which was uh, you know kind of in the original plans. Uh, and then, uh, meanwhile, yes, I heard um, the discussion earlier uh, uh, here on WJR, you know, about the the people mover being uh, free of charge in 2024. It seems like maybe you know, I mean, there's <laughs> as we all know, fits and starts about mass transit Metro Detroit. But one of the things that was interesting with what I heard Gilbert saying was rather than going for the, the full Christmas tree, to use an analogy, you know, the big enchilada, you know, think about it in, in, in doable chunks and smart, doable chunks yeah. like out to Metro Airport, something like that, that could make sense and be doable and not fall, collapse under its own weight of a gigantic you know, proposal with new taxes and yeah. so forth. Mickey Chikaila, we thank you so much for the headlines this morning and the look ahead. Ten things to watch in 2024, and you can find that in Crane's Detroit business. Have a great week. Thanks, Guy. You too. Take care. You know, the other thing, one of the big questions that we had, Jamie, going into this year was how Dan Gilbert was doing 
and whether yes. he would be as active and as impactful as he had been. That question has been answered with what he's doing at Henry Ford and the Tower. We're hearing from else. him more and more, which yes, is good news. and that shows that he's strong and engaged. When we come back, Matthew Schneider on the...